We live in a fantasy world now. Reality has been destroyed. This is the time that we really need to pay attention. The probabilities are overwhelmingly on gold's side. That is the best environment to see gold increase its value. Welcome to Palisades Gold Radio. I'm your host, Tom Bodrovix. Joining me today is Brett Oland, CEO of Bow Valley Credit Union. How are you today, Brett? Great. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. Excellent to have you. And I think this is a really interesting and important discussion to have. You and I met about maybe a year ago now, and we're going to go through kind of an initiative that you took upon yourself with the credit union that you are CEO of. Just for a little bit of context, you guys ended up going with a gold-backed initiative, which if I'm not mistaken, you're one of the only credit unions and or banks that really have, have adopted that type of posture. So why don't we start by getting a little bit about your background and how you got into the banking industry? Sure. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Tom. Uh, I've uh, been in the banking world for about a better part of 20 years. Uh, I'm a chartered accountant, a CPA by trade up, up in Canada near, near Calgary. Uh, started my banking career in the Cayman Islands, and I was an investment banker down there. Um, moved back to Canada and worked for a smaller Schedule One bank here in Canada called Canadian Western Bank up up in Edmonton, um, and uh, had had a few changes in in the road, and uh, ended up on the board of, of Bow Valley Credit uh, about uh, a number of years back, and was on uh, a board of director for about seven years. Uh, and then I parachuted in CEO uh, about four years ago. Um, also have an Institute of Corporate Directors designation uh, and a Bachelor of Commerce. Excellent. So maybe we can start by getting into what made you interested in having this type of initiative. Um, it, it probably started back even when when I was in the Caymans uh, back 20 years ago, I, this was prior to the GFC, and I, I saw, you know, I, I did quite well through the uh, 2006 leading up to the GFC uh, financially, and I thought it was just quite interesting how there was a, quite a stark difference uh, about how I did uh, other people uh, around me, and I could definitely attribute that to blind luck. Um, at, at the time uh, of the GFC, I was with Canadian Western Bank uh, up in Edmonton, Canada. And it, it again, um, the world really took uh, quite a bit of turmoil under it. And, and I was, again, positioned quite well at that point in time. Um, and it, then it really made you start thinking of what, what is actually happening, what's going mm -hmm. on here, um, especially. Uh, so that, that's sort of where my journey began of trying to understand the world uh, around me a lot better. Um, and uh, since I've been in the CEO uh, for the past four years of Bow Valley Credit, I've kicked that learning into high gear uh, around um, fiat currency and um, asset uh, backed currencies and things like that, which, which has largely led us to, to where we are today at Bow Valley Credit. And it's largely the result of 
what I see is is massive inflation, um, not only now but for the foreseeable future, um, that we're effectively trying to protect ourselves against uh, within our organization. Yeah, and I just want to maybe note note here that this is not necessarily, you know, our our show endorsing the Bow Valley Credit Union, but I, I just I think it's a really interesting con conversation to have because it I think it shows people what's possible and and maybe inspires others to think about subjects like this a little bit more deeply, you know, considering the changes that we've seen both in the banking sector and even our our day to day lives, which, you know, going back maybe a year or two really made made you guys stand out as a as a as a banking institution right right no absolutely we've seen incredible uptake on this initiative um, and we haven't launched it that long uh, as mentioned before the program we've got thousands of emails and phone calls and hundreds of thousands of, of um, touch points on, on social media as a result of it um, so it's it's really taken a lot of traction and it just goes to show that there's a lot of interest for sound money, honest money out there in the world. So, mm-hmm. so before we get to to the slides and, and how you how you see the world, share with us a little bit about the situation maybe during the trucker protests, if you could. Sure. Um, so we're definitely an organization that uh, takes a hard look at everything uh, before we... we roll things out um during the 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 freedom convoy the trucker convoy uh we were basically instructed by fintrack which is up here in canada that's uh uh, basically has federal jurisdiction uh, over some actions in bank um and they effectively told all the financial institutions to freeze uh trucker convoy um bank accounts and so we, we tried to stand back from that and said, wait a minute, we want to think about this in, in a proper light and context. And, and uh, we weren't going to arbitrarily freeze um, people's accounts uh, with, with that being in mind. They, they may be donated to an organization for five bucks or 25 bucks with, without uh, in, uh, knowing, understanding the implications of, of sort of what they were going to do. So, a number of uh, other inst- financial institutions uh, in Canada just went right along with uh, the government and, and froze literally thousands of, of people's accounts. Um, and shortly afterwards, um, I think the Canadian government realized that there might have been a bit of a bank run happening in the background and subsequently uh, lifted um, the FinTrack regulation or the Emergencies Act regulation. Um, and so... We, we felt pretty good about basically pausing uh, before we committed to do anything that could seriously upset people's finances. Um, and, it, and it turned about to be the, the correct direction just because of, of um, them rescinding the, the Emergencies Act order. So. so, yeah, I think it's really, I think these these things all come back to the idea of being able to make a choice, right? Being able to have the, the the choice to do what you want with your money, despite your your money and your business, despite you know if you if you understand the consequences of, like you said, donating maybe five or ten dollars to something that you thought was a, a a good cause, right? 
Oh, absolutely. And we saw that there was a tremendous amount of um, government influence behind it um, just because they weren't getting what they wanted. Um, and, and that's not necessarily our position is, is to basically be um, uh, catering to everything that that particular government at the time wants. Um, but we're here to basically provide a financial service to our members uh, full stop. We're not here to make judgment on political movements, not-for-profit movements, uh, the environment, social health, police, justice. That's not our place. We're, we're here to provide a financial service and stop. Mm-hmm. Which I guess it goes without saying that's obviously doesn't mean that that you're <laughs> endorsing any type of criminal or terrorist activity, which is the other part that we touched on kind of before we hit record here today, right? No, absolutely not. We're not endorsing that one bit, one iota. We still have very, very high regulatory standards with, with the FinTrack, AML. Um, these are in place for a reason, and we understand that reason, and we're fully compliant with everything there. And we're fully compliant even with, with uh, the actions uh, after the trucker convoy. Um, it's just the fact that we're willing to pause and, and make sure that we're not causing undue stress or, or um, influence uh, by the government. And, and we, we want to project that uh, we want to put our members first. So, so Brett, is there a particular reason that you that the credit union structure is able to kind of step outside or or was it nev- was it maybe more of a choice by these other financial institutions to just follow blindly what fintrack was telling them to do at the time i f- i feel it was somewhat of both so th- they're regulated by a, a federal um organization called OSFI, OSFI of Superintendent of Financial Institutions, whereas we're regulated provincially. Um, so uh, we it's, it's not necessarily that our um, rules are different from, from OSFI, but we can definitely choose our path to some degree in, in a lot of aspects uh, more frequently than, than the federally regulated institutions do. Um, but when I saw the reaction of, of the larger financial institutions, there's no way that they could have thought it out very carefully before sort of implementing these freezes on, on people's accounts. So I think it was largely a, a political jockeying and, and they were using a big hammer of, of the, the financial institutions in Canada to, to, to do that. Um, uh, you know, whether it was right or wrong at the end of the day, um, it, it was definitely an overstepping of, of bounds into a realm. I think there was a lot of trust lost, um, not only within Canada, but with outside of Canada as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting point. That kind of political capital that was spent during the last two to three years, I think, is is an important piece to, again, make, make people think about the safety and security of not only their their financial institutions, but what they're what they're told, or or maybe what what we take for granted on a day to day basis. But Brett, what what led you to think that that gold is the solution here, and and why why did you choose to you know help 
back part of the assets of the credit union with gold. Sure. Yeah. This is sort of the, the meat of, of the, what we were trying to do, but this is a result of, of thousands of hours of research and um, hashing things out, scenario testing, um, and, and really um, not to be too much of an advocate, but all roads led to gold um, in many um, of, of these scenarios, if not all of them. So um, I can sort of go over what was happening and, and from a macro perspective of what we were thinking about when, when we ultimately came up with this decision. But at the end of the day, um, back to my earlier comment that uh, we, we think that's an incredibly inflationary time now, and we see that uh, definitely continuing on mm -hmm. for a significant time frame in the future. So, but uh, yeah. So if if you wanna if you wanna share share your screen because I know you have a, a a good chunk of your macro thesis that you want to kind of go through here. Sure. Um, can you see that there? Yep. Okay. So uh, we'll we'll get into the details of what uh, our, our gold backed initiative is uh, a little bit later, but uh, just, I think it's important for under people to understand sort of how we came to this decision making is very, just as important as, as what we're doing. Um, so as mentioned previously, um, we feel that inflation is, is a massive problem and it's going to continue for the foreseeable future. So I'm, I'm going to go over a number of major themes, themes that we see um, are going to cause inflation to continue and, and persist uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, and uh, I think it, it's pretty hard to ignore this uh, when, when all arrows are pointing in sort of the one direction. Um, so as a CEO, uh, one of my major roles is, is to consider a number of risks, not only at, within the organization, but with out, outside of the organization. And we see a number of key risks, um, the rise of inflation, uh, potential for a deep recession, uh, lack of confidence in fiat currency, um, foreign countries continuing to buy precious metals, a world political unrest. Uh, there appears to be a sovereign debt crisis on the horizon. Uh, there a heightened movement away from the U.S. dollar as world reserve currency, and and there is a bigger risk of of counterparty default that's out there as well. And I'll, I'll sort of touch on a number of these themes as as we get into it. Um, just just a little bit about um, what we have as an insurance as as an organization already set up. So currently, Bovala Credit Union is 100% deposit guaranteed through CUDGE, which is the Credit Union Deposit Guarantee Corporation. And what we're doing with this gold-backed initiative is further um, insuring our organization with physical uh, precious metals in our stores. And just a, a little bit of background, if you don't know, uh, CDIC, which is the insurance in Canada, is only up to 100000 And FDIC insurance in the United States is only up to 250000 um, but effectively, um, this is a banker talking now, I've lost confidence in, in the Western banking sector, and, and I'm not sure that these insurances are, are going to hold up, especially when you look at the balance sheets of the insurance companies behind this, and there's just not enough to cover um, if there's a major breakdown in, in, um, in the economy. 
So that's, that's sort of what. Sorry, yeah. if I could if I could interrupt you for that for one second. With those, you know, insurance limits there, is that per account or per person? And you know, how does that how does that break out? Um, so I do believe FDIC in in the U.S. Uh, is is per person um, per financial institution. So you you could facts probably put 250,000 in, in a couple of different financial institutions if you had the financial wherewithal to do that um, but part of the challenge is if a major event does happen um, it could be months it could be years before you actually get your um, deposit values back um, and inevitably because they don't have the balance sheet to cover all these insured deposits uh, and the, the government's going to have to print it. And so if you're thinking months or years down the road that you're actually going to get your deposits back, uh, that value, sure, you'll probably get your dollars back, but it might be a very inflated um, currency compared to what it was uh, originally that you could buy with that um, money originally. So. Mm -hmm. And what do most of the banks normally hold as reserves? Is it treasuries or bonds or how does, how does that separate? Yeah, it's mostly short-term um, treasuries and bonds is, is what they hold. Um, so, of course, they would also devalue if they continue with um, printing up treasuries. Um, there would be a challenge there and every treasury that they print is, is basically a devaluation of every other treasury before it. So um, it, it's the same type of thing that, that would basically devalue the currency. So, <clears throat> so effectively our base case is that uh, the devaluation via inflation of the US dollar will continue because of the mask of fiscal policy response that's, that's gonna have to happen over the next number of years. And I'll get into that in a little detail in the coming sections. But of course, we feel this is very bullish for precious, precious metals overall. Um, so as mentioned, we, we consider gold as an insurance policy and uh, I'll get into a little bit more um, how we view it within our organization. But uh, we effectively use it as a hedge against the expected inflation to come as well as uh, a liquid asset in case of a, a worldwide emergency, uh, as it's very tangible within other countries outside of Canada and the U.S. Um, so a lot of these topics you've likely seen before, even on your podcast, Tom. Uh, but I, I think so much has happened, it's hard to remember all these things that sort of combine to, to cause what I call a perfect storm for inflation. Um, and And it comes to the same conclusion that we have a very short list of outcomes and, and an even shorter list of solutions to try and solve these problems. Um, so here's just an inflation curve that, that I developed. And in most cases, you're, you're only dealing with a little bit of inflation or a little bit of deflation at best. Um, and, and the probability of high inflation or deflation is just not there. And I think the world is flipped on its head considerably. Um, and, and now the risk of very high inflation 
or very high deflation is, is are very prominent. Um, as a financial institution, I think about this from a banker's perspective. If we're if we think that we're going to have a, a big deflationary event, uh, the best thing to do is to bring up our cash stores, which we have done. But on the other side of it, typically, if if there's higher inflation, we have assets that that are securing loans that protect us against higher inflation because usually they rise as a result of the inflation. But I don't think the situation is like that anymore, especially with the housing market where rates have gotten to a point where they're just sky high and people can't afford uh, your typical housing anymore. So I don't think that hedge is there in financial institutions like it used to be. So we needed to fill in the gap and and we came up with the solution of, of precious metals and gold to basically protect us of that tail risk um, of, of higher inflation that uh, uh, we, we have never needed this type of hedge in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, this concept's probably not new either. I don't think the dial approach works anymore with inflation and deflation. It's either inflation on or deflation on. It's There's no in-between anymore. I think this is a result of, of just the massive debt loads that governments have uh, basically um, collected over the last number of years, especially over the last decade and a half. Um, So this will blow up people's minds, but in this presentation, you can substitute inflation for for basically currency devaluation, Um, because in essence, that's what I'm talking about here is is currency devaluation through the government's policy response as a result of, of all the problems that are happening in the world today. Um, so here's a chart and, and just for your audio uh, listeners, uh, it's the M2 money supply. And as you can see, it's gone quite starkly up over the last number of years um, and and really went parabolic in 2020 with, with all the, the currency printing and a somewhat uh, tapered off uh, in, in, as of late but I think uh, it's sort of baked in the cake of, of what we should expect with uh, uh, currency printing going forward. Um, so what do I mean by currency printing? I think it's important to, to understand what I mean by this before we get into all these challenges. Um, so what I mean by currency printing is specifically the increase of the, the broad money of the M2 money supply, which would be different from the base money or the treasuries. Um, there's, there is significant nuance between these. Um, we're we're going to focus just on the broad money and the M2 money supply uh, because uh, it, it's really that's what causes your inflation or deflation is, is the M2 money supply. Um, it, it's not the other forms of, of currency, which are, are treasuries and base money, which, which uh, don't have a, a lot of impact on inflation and deflation. Um, so there's four types of organizations that can hold currency. There's the government or the treasury department. There's central banks. There's there's financial institutions like ours. And then there's non-financial entities. And, and we're going to focus just on uh, the fourth one there, the non-financial ins- entities, which is the general population, corporations, uh, non-financial institutions that hold money in, in various vehicles. Um so the important takeaway from this is that it's only inflationary when uh, M2 money supply gets out into to the real economy um, and increases. And, and that's what I'm referring to uh, when, when I'm talking about money or currency printing. Um, 
So unless money to M2 money supply is increasing and circulating beyond the economy, it's not inflationary. And I think this is the key difference that we saw between the QE in 2008 uh, was non-inflationary because it just remained in the governments and the banking sector as bank reserves rather than filtering out into the real economy. And the big difference in 2020, of course, is that we, we um, produced all these treasuries uh, and it was inflationary because it checks got sent directly out into the general prop- population and businesses as, as broad money or M2 money. So hence the inflation that we've seen uh, over the last, say, year and a half. Um, More so the real the real touch point for most people of consumer price inflation. Yes, exactly. So, you know, when there, there's all that massive increase in that broad money uh, that, that's in the hands of the consumer, um, it, of course, they're going to go out and buy um, a number of different consumer products and things like that. So my base case is that uh, the QE in, in 2020 started a massive inflationary super cycle that I expect to continue for the next decade or so. Um, so... I'm going to go over a number of major themes that just um, are going to come to the conclusion that that inflationary switch needs to be turned uh, constantly to on to to basically stop governments from defaulting on on all their debt. Um, The first major theme is is we've crossed the debt-to-GDP Rubicon. So of the 54 countries with the debt-to-GDP over 130% since 1900, uh, 53 have defaulted on this debt and went bankrupt. So that's a 98.1% chance that if you have a debt over 130% debt to GDP, you're going to go bankrupt. And just for, for knowledge, the U.S. Uh, went as high as 137% debt to GDP and Canada went as high as 118%. Um, so again, another chart for your audio listeners. Uh, we, we ticked along quite steadily higher up and to the right and took a massive spike in our debt to GDP um, in in 2020 and since have subsided somewhat. But I, again, I think it's already baked in the cake that uh, we're, we're in for a very inflationary time period. Um, the one country that didn't uh, go bankrupt was, was Japan out of those 54 that uh, crossed that Rubicon of, of 130 debt to GDP. And now Japan's official debt to GDP as of January 2023 is 264%. Um, and you start to see the cracks that are forming in Japan's uh, economy. They, they were effectively forced to, to remove some of their yield curve control on the 10-year bond. It moved it from a 25 basis points to 50 basis points recently because the yen is just absolutely getting crushed against uh, the U.S. dollar and other currencies out there. Um, And so as a result, the Bank of Japan had to let go of $200 of of their uh, U.S. treasuries from April 22 to to November 22 to try and defend their currency. And just incidentally, uh, China has also reduced their treasury holdings from uh, north of $1 trillion to $870 billion same time frame. Um, so as a result of this, uh, the Bank of Japan is, is effectively at a bit of a breaking point. Um, you know, they're co- going to continue to get pressure on their yen uh, and, and get crushed compared to the U.S. dollar, especially as inflation 
continues to get out of control and and uh, the balance, central bank balance sheet is just going to explode higher um, not only because of uh, energy prices but also the value of the yen is much less than it was even just a couple of years ago um, and you know this this removal of the yield curve control will cause uh, yields uh, in their treasuries to spike uh, considerably higher which will you know, compound the problem with with a debt servicing problem within Japan. Um, so, another major theme is is there there is a concept that uh, the U.S. may implement yield curve control as well, and and effectively, I say they already have with with uh, quantitative easing, trying to keep the yields down on on treasuries. Uh, but um, as of recently, um, they they've definitely declined and. Uh, the actually holdings of that the, the Federal Reserve has on the balance sheet of, of treasuries. And so they're no longer a buyer of treasuries like they were in the past. So effectively, the uh, the yield on, on treasuries are, are more a function of the free market, which uh, we've seen uh, get wi pretty wild in the last uh, number of years. Um, foreign uh, buyers of, of U.S. Uh, treasury securities have declined significantly over the last number of years. Uh, Japan, already mentioned, has, has decreased their treasury holdings by 225 billion since December of 2021. Similar, um, China has dropped their holdings by 173 billion. Um, and these are significant buyers of treasuries. And because the US is, is a dual deficit nation in both trade and financial deficits, Somebody needs to be buying these treasuries. Other, otherwise, there's there's going to be a very very big debt servicing problem, and and I think Japan and China have decided, either on purpose or, or because their currencies were getting crushed, that they're no no longer want to be bag holders of of the U.S. treasuries. Um, so uh, it does seem to be flooding into the, the um, private market somewhat, but uh, I don't know if there's much runway left on something like that if yield prices uh, continue to increase. Um, and yeah, I don't blame them um, because effectively, if, if you see massive inflation on the horizon, why would you want to hold on to all these treasuries? And, and basically, you're just guaranteed a loss on, on, on these treasuries. Um, so Eventually, my base case is that uh, the U.S. will have to issue new treasuries, and, and the TGA is running out of room, and I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, and this is likely where the QE is going to have to resume. Otherwise, the TGA account is, is effectively going to run dry, and, and the U.S. government is going to be out of money. Um, so just a, I'm a, an account, as you know, so I, I look at financial statements, and I see from fiscal 2018, uh, the U.S.'s uh, income statement, and they have a deficit of $600 billion. Likewise, in 2019, a deficit of almost uh, $700 billion. Um, and a lot of these expenses are Social Security, National Defense, Medicare, um, income security, that type of thing. Those are sort of the big lines on the income statement. Um, in the year fiscal year 2020, another deficit of almost 500, or sorry, $750 billion. Um, a massive uh, fiscal deficit uh, in in 2021 of 1.7 trillion, uh, and that's a result of all the the uh, income relief from the, the COVID spending. Um, 
in in 2022 another deficit of uh, almost 700 billion um, and just more more recently as the month of uh, January 2022 they did have a small surplus of uh, 220 billion but went right back to their old tricks in 20 January 2023 and had a, another big deficit of about 40 billion and so effectively I, I try and simplify things to some degree and and think of things as the U.S. Treasury uh, headed up by Janet Yellen as, as the checking account of the United States government. And I see uh, the Federal Reserve headed up by Jerome Powell as, as basically a holder of the financial statements, the balance sheet of, of the uni entire United States. So if you think of it as, as on, on a more simple level uh, as an individual, Jerome Powell is basically the holder of, of the house of the financial um, wherewithal of, of the United States, whereas Janet Yellen has control of, of the checking house, checking account of, of the house. And so um, every time that Janet Yellen wants to have a party and, and spend that money, um, because there, there's uh, fiscal deficits, they basically have to go out to the, the general economy and, and get sell treasuries to try and top up the, the, the checking account to the United States. And as of probably the past 15 years, um, the, the House of the United States uh, has basically had to prop up the, the checking account by basically giving them an equity loan from the United States. And, and it's almost like a HELOC loan, a home equity line of credit that they've given to um, the uh, Treasury General account or the checking account for the United States. And so Jerome Powell, as of late, has, has started to see the cracks that, that are forming um, within the economy and, and basically the, the, the financial house of the United States is, is cracking to some degree. Um, and he effectively said no more and said, uh, okay, we're going to start raising rates and no more QE. And effectively, we're going we're gonna to pull that back and reduce our balance sheet to some degree. We're going to re reduce your line of credit. Uh, and, and start quantitative tightening. And so that doesn't sit well with, of, of course, the, the checking account or the U.S. Treasury because they, they can't spend anymore. And I think we've started to see a number of these things. There's been a positional change in, in a lot of uh, politicians in the United States uh, where they're talking about uh, tax increases again. They're talking about reducing Social Security and at the end of the day, uh, this might be hard to hear, but I think Jerome Powell might be that hero that, that saves the financial house of the United States, which is very uncommon to be, to be on side with a, a, a central bank in the United States, or a central banker in general, anyway. So, um, so here's just a little screenshot of the Treasury General account, and it started in, in April 22 of at about a trillion dollars and they've effectively depleted half of that now um, as of today um, they're only at 500 billion left in the checking account of the united states government so this is why you're seeing big concerns around uh, raising the debt ceiling and things like that because there's problems on the horizon and and basically they're running low on um, their checking account savings there so um so the conclusion that we've reached is that uh, Jerome Powell will have to resume 
quantitative easing. Otherwise, there's just going to be no buyer for U.S. Treasuries. Uh, so whether Powell wants this or not, um, it, it's it's unfortunate, but uh, the U.S. financial house will be insolvent without that uh, line of credit that they get from uh, the Federal Reserve. Um, so another major theme why we see inflation continue to perpetuate uh, is uh, the U.S. dollar's decline as, as world reserve currency. Um, as you can see over the last couple of quarters, uh, a lot of countries around the world are, are holding less and less uh, U.S. Uh, FX reserves. Uh, and this can be seen in, in this next chart. Um, it's gone down over the last 20 years from 70% of uh, FX uh, reserves being held uh, by other countries down to less than 60%. So that's a significant decline. Um, and although it may have sort of another couple of decades to run out, uh, the trend is very clear that it is down and, and uh, countries around the world are stopping holding uh, FX, uh, US FX reserves. Um, so another points of history, um, March 12th, uh, 2022 may go down in history as being the beginning of the end of the US dollar uh, as world reserve currency. Uh, and that's the day that uh, Russia was moved from SWIFT. Um, Russia quickly put a floor under, under the ruble in terms of gold, but uh, effectively the US has put uh, other countries on notice that they're, they're willing to basically pull the, them off of the SWIFT system at, the, at a moment's notice. And I, I don't think it's any coincidence that about three days later, on March 15, 2022, the Wall Street Journal announced that Saudi Arabia and China were in talks to sell oil with Yuan um, and Renimbi as, as the settlement payment. Um, so effectively, this marks another end, uh, and, and that's to the petrodollar system. Um, you know, and, and this is me speculating here, but I think they probably had this planned ever since uh, the U.S. abandoned the war in Afghanistan in, on August 30th, uh, 2021, which uh, is, is a date that uh, uh, everybody sort of remembers as, as basically Saudi Arabia may have been left out to dry um, if, if the U.S. is willing to pull out uh, their uh, uh, military that quickly. Um, so another major theme, um, could talk all day just about this, but energy is the world's economy lifeblood. And, and so effectively, um, energy moves in lockstep with wealth. The more energy equals the more wealth, and the less energy, the less wealth. And, and what politicians have been doing in the last uh, number of months is basically filling in that gap. And so because energy has been so expensive, they've, they've currency printed and, and given it directly to, to their citizens. And just anecdotally, I have a friend that went over to Germany and I asked him, how are they coping with the high energy, uh, natural gas, electricity costs? And they say, it's not a problem. Um, they've basically had all these increases, but the, the government has sent out checks. So they're net neutral on this. But the thing is, the chicken's going to come home to roost eventually and, and inflation is start going to seriously show up in, in these economies because of all the, the currency printing that they've done. And they can't continue this in perpetuity to try and protect um, their citizens from the rise in energy prices. Mm -hmm. um, so in, environmental hysteria doesn't make the problem any, any better. 
Um, because wind and solar are less d dense forms of energy, um, every time that there's a, a supposed substitution for oil and gas, it almost makes the problem worse. Um, and so governments will be forced, if they want to continue with this green revolution, to print the difference to basically prop up people's wealth um, because that less energy does equal less wealth. Um, another major theme, there's, there's a lot of geopolitical risk out there. Uh, this is just a chart showing that's gone absolute parabolic in the last 20 years, the, the number of countries that are on the U.S. sanction list. So this just demonstrates to me that uh, the U.S. isn't making friends easily with a lot of these, these uh, countries out there. And this is only up to 2020. I'm sure there's a number more countries that are on it since the uh, Ukrainian war started. Um, so another couple of points of history, uh, April 20th, 2022, the Bank of Israel announced that it's added several currencies, including Yuan to FX holdings. Um, Xi Jinping out of, out of China recently announced on December 9th, 2022, that China would be buying oil and gas in Yuan uh, from Gulf Arab leaders. Um, on March, as way back as March 2009, Russia and China called for a new currency, global currency. Q4 2016, Chinese renminbi was is another one of the, the world reserve currencies held at the IMF. And in Q1 2020, uh, central banks around the world held over 220 billion worth of, of yuan. Um, again, major political risk that the West can no longer ignore. Uh, the One Belt, One Road initiative, considered Xi Jinping's um, centerpiece to his foreign policy, includes nearly 70 countries, 65% of the world's population, and 40% of the global uh, gross domestic product of the world. Um, and, and it's all supposed to be paid for in yuan, is the currency that they're supposed to be using for the One Belt, One Road initiative. And just for those people that can view the slide, it effectively covers all of Europe and all of Asia and parts of Africa with uh, its, its land routes and sea routes. Um, and so a major portion of, of the world is basically covered by this One Belt, One Road initiative. Um, another major theme, U.S. unfunded liabilities has come into the media as of lately. And an unfunded liability is effectively a debt that doesn't have an asset on the other side to, to basically protect it. Um, and, and from this chart, you can see that the U.S., and this is as of April uh, 2022, so I'm sure it's higher than that, has about uh, $150 trillion, with a T, um, unfunded U.S. liabilities. And most of that is around Medicare um, and Social Security and public health debt. So similar to the unfunded liabilities, there, there is a worldwide pension crisis. Um, and individual states are, are under, underfunded to an estimated $3 trillion, and that's with a T. Um, just a chart here showing um, all the funds uh, by the National Conference of Public Retiree System. Um, and a number of these are, are underfunded by uh, at least 20%. Uh, at least a third of them are underfunded by uh, 25%. And this, this represents a significant amount of, of Americans and Canadians that will not get their full benefit, or at least might not get it in, in the value that uh, 
they've come accustomed to because they'll have to get it back in inflated dollars um, because these these funds are underfunded and uh, there's not many solutions to, to correct it. Um, Brett, are they are they underfunded currently? And then how does that play out within? You know, if we get another type of deflationary crisis or or financial crisis. Sure, I'll just go on to the next slide here. So basically, the governments will likely need to step in mm-hmm. um, if, if this situation happens, where basically they say to their their memberships of of their pension funds, um, "Okay, we either need to renege on our promises," and and they've done that at at Sears, uh, United Airlines, American Motor Corp, where basically they just went back to their the pensioners and, and said, sorry, we can't pay you that thousand dollars. We promised you, we're only going to give you 500, take it or leave it. Um, you know, um, so the government's going to either have to step in like they did with the teamsters down in the United States and basically top up their funding because effectively their pension fund was bankrupt. Um, and, and they needed to step in to make it whole. Um, so the governments are either going to have to increase taxes, and I don't know how you feel about having your taxes increased to pay for somebody else's pension. Doesn't sit too well with me. Um, they can either reduce the the funds that go to these programs, like go back to the pensioners and say, "Sorry, um, this is a problem," or they could take the easy solution and basically print the concurrency to try and bail people out. But effectively, you're just inflating away that debt and putting it on the citizens as an inflation tax anyway. So um, we're, we're also in a demographic time bomb. Uh, as a Q3 2020, 30 million baby boomers in the U.S. lost or uh, left their jobs. Uh, and all these boomers have uh, unfunded liabilities that they expect payment for. Um, and, and the problem is only going to compound if their asset prices fall on on their homes and their equity portfolios and things like that. Um, Another major theme, um, inflation is is not transitory in my mind. Um, People are aware of the government's incentive to keep uh, CPI manipulated and and exporting inflation to uh, China and other Asian countries is no longer a viable option as we try and onshore a lot of our, our industrial base that was hollowed out. Um, so another uh, list, laundry list of things that why inflation is not going to be transitory is supply chain issues continue to persist. Energy costs will continue to rise. Labor shortages aren't getting any better. Environmental activism is, isn't making things any better. Um, there, there's that deglobalization uh, that continues to, to happen. Um, the, the world acceptance of, of the U.S. dollar continues to decline. And as, as they continue to uh, not accept the U.S. dollar anymore, as dollars come rushing home, um, the price of everything in other parts of the world become more expensive. And my expectation is Western governments will continue to debase their currency. Um, so one of the last uh, major themes here is, is the, the DXY's strength will flip and all of a sudden become no longer our dollar, your problem, and, and switch to our dollar, our problem. Um, with with every um, interest rate hike uh, that comes out of the Federal Reserve, it basically results in, in a stronger rising dollar. And, and this causes particularly 
big problems for resource poor, low exporting nations, like we saw over the past year, especially in places like Japan and Europe. Um, China isn't impacted as much, even though they still have to pay for the oil and commodities in US dollars. They make up for it with inflating the cost of, of their exports. And, and of course, that's inflationary to us as well. Um, so larger problems will start to show up in Japan and Europe if we continue to, to uh, increase uh, interest rates and, and will be required to print more of their own currency to pay for this energy infl inflation. Um, as mentioned there in Germany, they're basically just giving handouts to their citizens to pay for these costs. And so that almost perpetuates on itself because it makes inflation worse in their country and continues to devalue their currency. So my prediction is that a European nation such as the Spain or Greece or Italy will actually fall as, as a result of the rise in, in uh, Dixie and, and commodities and, and effectively get go insolvent. Um, so all the above uh, themes are, are highly inflationary and results in, in, a, in a number of, of cases where fiscal spending by the government will be required um, and, and also increasing debts and enforcing that QE on, on the Federal Reserve, which of course will, will continue to highly devalue the currencies around the world. Um, so there's really only three options that uh, the Western world has now. Um, we can default on the debt. Um, I'd say there's little to no probability of that. They, they'd sooner just print the money and give it back to you in deflated dollars. Um, we can let inflation run hot like it has been, and that's effectively my base case of what I think is going to happen. Um, but there's another possibility that seems to be coming up from behind, and, and I think it, the probabilities are becoming more and more likely as the Federal Reserve refuses to pivot, which is really quite interesting and in, in why Jerome Powell might be the savior of the West at the end of the day after all. And that's that the Western world, and, and the, with the U.S. as the lead, admits that the fiat currency system is broken, and the Western world needs to start living within its means, i.e. they basically have to take in as much tax revenue as they do spend, and, and no more debt deficit spending. Um, that's not my base case. My base case is that the Fed actually pivots, um, either through uh, quantitative easing or interest rate reductions. Um, and, and this will be um, highly inflationary, of course, and, and devalue the U.S. dollar continuously. And that's why uh, we, we continue to be very bullish on precious metals and, and are tr trying to protect our organization against that uh, outcome. Um, the lower probability case, which, which I think, as mentioned, continue to get more traction the longer it goes and the more rate hikes that the u.s fed does um and, and almost the the more we hear from jerome powell like his testimony earlier this week that's right yeah exactly um and so if powell continues to stay that course and, and hold those interest rates high and and continues on with the q qt and no more quantitative easing um What's what's really interesting this time is commodity prices, although they've come off a little bit, still have a considerable amount of, of upward pressure 
even over the last six months as, as the DXY has come down, which is not typical, is, is usually what you see is commodity prices fall as, as the US dollar f- falls. Um, and it really hasn't happened this time around. Um, so we, we expect, um, as a result of all, all that upward pressure, um, yields on treasuries will continue to rise and policymakers can no longer print currency to get themselves out of, of that deficit. They basically have to balance the books. Um, as you can imagine, um, this will cause extremely uh, large civil unrest. Um, even the notion uh, of the Republicans in the U.S. Um, cutting back social services, uh, social security, or even bumping the age out from 65 to 70, there was, there was a lot of kickback from um, people ar- around that. But unfortunately, if you want to balance the books, you're going to have to make sacrifices on your major expenses that, that are coming out of the U.S. So it will take sacrifice, and it's not going to be easy to do it to balance the books. Um, so I think there's probably two scenarios that, that come out of this lower probability case, and it's the U.S. follows the rest of the world, um, or the U.S. takes takes lead on this. And so... Um, just scenario playing this out. Um, if if there is no Fed pivot and Jerome Powell continues to tighten and and keeps the the rate hikes poured on, um, the U.S. dollar is going to continue to get higher. Um, countries like uh, Japan and places like Europe and other developing markets with with poor resource bases will start to feel extreme pain, like they did uh, in the past years um, through energy and price. Uh, debt as the, as they have to pay for these items with um, higher US dollar and so their likelihood of collapse considerably increases as a result of the US dollar um, rising in, in the form of Dixie and so they're not going to take this sitting down so effectively what Europe and Japan are in the poor uh, the poor developing markets the poor resource spaces are going to have to do is beg the, the resource rich nations to trade in anything other than the US dollar um, the U S as over the past year has sort of combated this with draining the, the SPR. Um, uh, but that was a one shot. The, the, the SPR is largely drained now, so they can't give reprieve to the, the rest of the world on these high energy prices like they've done, done over the last year or so. Um, and with environmentalists having a stranglehold on, on further oil and gas drilling, I think it's going to be many years to come before we can sort of uh, be able to do something like we did in the shale oil revolution, where we were able to supply the world with a with, uh, cheap source of energy. Um, so the resource-rich nations will not, likely not want any fiat currency and, and will want to settle in, in something uh, either in their own currency or in, in something like a, a neutral reserve asset like gold. Um, and this would effectively drive the U.S. allies into separate agreements with, with other countries other than the U.S. And of course, the U.S. is not going to like this at all. Um, you know, some big signs of this is that the Shanghai Gold Exchange uh, can now settle oil and commodities in Yuan, which which is a significant revelation that that that's happened. Um, and you know, it it may be the the solution. Uh, for for the U.S. dollar uh, being replaced 
as as uh, with gold as as a world reserve currency. Um, and uh, I, I heard anecdotally that they've done twice as many transactions this year at the Shanghai Gold Exchange that they did last year. Um, so again, the, the countries that are trading uh, in currencies other than the US dollar will likely rush to gold as a result of this and, and need to get into gold as quickly as they can. And the US, um, not getting ahead of it, will have to follow suit to avoid a massive deflationary event as all these uh, dollars start rushing home. Um, because of, of all the civil unrest of, of the cutting of the social programs being removed in the US and policymakers um, require a tool to basically stabilize this if Jerome Powell is going to continue to raise rates and, and um, implement quantitative tightening, they're, they're going to have to have a way to shore up the US balance sheet and stabilize the US dollar. Um, and the US government to do this, um, uh, to prevent a, a national and, and confidence crisis in the U.S. is going to have to back their currency by by a hard asset, and I believe that hard asset is going to have to be gold. And and so, I, I, again, lower probability case of this happening, but uh, the U.S. policymakers may in fact have to couple the U.S. dollars and treasuries towards gold. And the reason why I think it is gold is because it's 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 globally accepted. Central banks are carrying it on the balance sheets, um, and and it's almost an easy transition or an easier transition that they're going to have to do. Um, so this this is when when U.S. takes the lead. They could basically the U.S. could basically get out in front of this and and couple the U.S. dollar or treasuries to gold now, and and to prevent sort of a what. They may see, and this is where Jerome Powell may be the savior of the United States. He's forcing the Western countries to basically balance their books. And this, if 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 he can't do it without breaking something, then he'll have to restore confidence in the system with with uh, uh, asset like gold to prevent sort of a massive deflationary event. Um, so, by and large, I think in the long run, this is very good for the United States. Uh, United States. Um, but it might be drawn out for some time as, as U.S. dollars get priced in, uh, or treasuries get priced in golds or other commodities, and it, and it could take uh, a significant time to uh, implement. So we're, we're not thinking about the intricacies, but we're, I'm looking at the math from a banker's perspective and an accountant's perspective, and, and there's, there's no way out of this. And so we, we basically as Western nations need to try and get out in front of this and, and anchor our currency to something or couple our currencies or treasuries to something to try and get ahead of this and start balancing the buckets or, or balancing their budgets. And I think that's maybe as time goes on, what Jerome Powell is trying to do um, as he continues to put pressure on the longer it goes, I think the probability is much higher for this case happening. So Brett, um, you know, Going, going through all of that, you said you went through several different scenarios and, you know, almost the, the word that came to mind for me was almost wargaming these different ideas. Did you come up with any scenarios where you would be worse off for backing part of the balance sheet by gold or having gold, you know, to, to balance out part of, part of that scale? Uh, 
on that, but the, the, probably the biggest one of the biggest criticisms, especially by policymakers, of of anchoring your currency to something like gold, is that it it can't inflate or deflate if if there's challenges within the economy. Um, so the the same situation that we need to live in is we live in a fiat currency world. We can't completely back our balance sheet dollar for dollar with gold. Otherwise, there's just no flexibility. There's no ability to make profit. We have buildings to pay for, staff to pay for, systems to pay for that, that we need to do this. Um, but if if even if there's just a tether of, say, central banks, 20% of your currency must be backed by, by physical precious metals, uh, or something like that. It still gives a, an incredible long runway for these governments, but they must stay tethered and, and will force them to balance the books over a number of years. And I think that's effectively the folly that, that governments have done in the past is they've decoupled it and, and they didn't hold to their guns and say, come hell or high water, we're sticking to our guns and backing it by, say, 40% by mm -hmm. uh, currency or 20%. So. Um, so just, just circling back to our organization, we recognize that th there is a trade-off for our membership because gold doesn't pay a yield. Uh, but we see a, a, a significantly higher probability of, of these tail risks playing out. So we feel that, uh, holding gold, physical gold and, and precious metals in our stores is a way to basically uh, hedge us against these these massive tail risks that we see out there as an organization. Um, and, and just a little bit more about credit unions, if people don't know that. Um, each credit union is different. So my thinking at our credit union is likely much different from other credit unions as they have different boards, different managements, and different strategies. Um, another thing about uh, credit unions is, our, our, in general, our deposits need to match our lending. So what I mean by that is any any money that comes in the door as deposits, we can only lend out that certain amount. Whereas the bigger financial institutions can really get over their skis with derivatives and swaps and all sorts of these uh, you know, financial gymnastics that, that do, in my mind, cause a, a considerable amount more of, of leverage risk within these organizations. So inherently, uh, in my mind, we're a little bit more stable of an organization as a result of it. Um, we are community-based, so we care about what happens in our community. We're not here to get way over our skis and, and basically see the whole thing implode. We care about our communities and want to be in our communities for the next hundred years. Um, and effectively, with, with our gold-backed solution, in a lot of cases, we're, we're more insured than the banks uh, with with their coverage of a hundred thousand of, of CDIC insurance or two hundred fifty thousand uh, insurance with FDIC, um, and and as well as we're preventing uh, our members from that tail risk, um, the the banks likely won't get into gold backing their organizations because they want to squeeze every single dollar uh, out of their profitability, and and we just don't need to do that as an organization because we have sort of a longer term game. And our interest is more on our members' well-being versus profitability to shareholders. Um, so this, again, we, we consider gold not backed one for one.
but as an insurance, as a hedge of, of, of massive inflation, as well as a, as a liquidity event. Um, as we touched on before, we, we can only transact in dollars and people buy groceries and gas and uh, pay their mortgages in, in dollars. So we need to basically straddle the fence between the fiat world and, and the hard money, uh, the, the honest money world. Uh, so we think we, we're not backed one for one, but we think we have enough uh, physical precious metals to protect people's deposits against a significant devaluation event. Um, and this with, with addition with our hundred deposit, uh, hundred percent deposit guarantee is, is a, a very strong value position, uh, proposition for, for our membership. Um, we can only bank with people that, that are in Alberta. If you're, you're corporate incorporated in Alberta or you're resident in Alberta, but if, if you sort of like what you're seeing here, I encourage you to talk to your local uh, credit union in your state or province um, and, and try and force change and, and basically get that tether back within your organization uh, to pretend, protect yourself against these, these major tail risks. Um, so happy to answer any further questions, Tom. Yeah, that, it's an interesting point that you brought up there because obviously this doesn't necessarily apply to many of our listeners, I guess those that are within Alberta only. But again, the idea that this is something that can inspire change and you know maybe acts as a, as a catalyst for others to think about how they can really vote, vote with their business, vote with their money to be able to have a financial organization that looks at options like this, I think is really valuable, Brett. And I really appreciate you coming on to share your thesis and all of these different outcomes with us. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. And the thing is you can implement change within a credit union. It's one member, one vote. So you can uh, pick your board of directors and try and go in this direction and, and really impact change compared to the bigger banks. Um, good luck trying to implement a change or getting them to change their ways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I think again, that comes back to the idea of, of choice that we touched on earlier. Yeah. And, and we're, we're trying to be a little bit altruistic here and, and hopefully we can change the system from the inside out because it sure isn't happening from the top down. So. Mm-hmm. Excellent, Brett. Well, why don't you share with our listeners where the best place is to find out more about that? Is is bowvalleycu.com the best place? Yeah, you can go and take a look at bowvalleycu.com. If you'd like a copy of a white paper that I wrote better part of a year ago, um, I'm willing to share that with you if you you want to sign up for that. We're not going to spam you. Um, if, if you want to copy the letter, it, it goes into much more detail about the topics that we talked about um, in this presentation. I'm happy to share it for free with everybody. Uh, the information's a little outdated, uh, but I think you'll find that, that most topics are still quite relevant. Um, Absolutely. And, I've, I, I've, I've read through it and it's a, it's a, a great way to, to really understand this from a, a 5,000 foot view and it's, it's hard to argue with a lot of the conclusions that you came to. Right. Fair enough. Uh, and anybody that wants to reach out to me directly, uh, go to goldbacked at bowvalleycu.com. Um, I do look at all the emails. It might take me a little time to get back to you, 
Uh, but I do look at all the emails and appreciate the input and comments and questions. So thank you. Perfect. Excellent, Brett. Well, I think that's a, a great place to to wrap up today. And I really appreciate your time and sharing this with all of our listeners. Well, thank you, Tom. Really appreciate it and uh, appreciate your help in our journey as an organization getting to this place because uh, Tom, in fact, came and talked to our board, which I really appreciated his perspective uh, of wor- the world and, and the direction it helped us go in. So thank you, Tom. Uh, not a problem, Brad. It was a, it was a pleasure and an, and an honor to be able to come speak to the board. Something I, I definitely stepped out of my comfort zone to, to, to go and do, but it was a, it was a really interesting set of conversations over a couple of days. And it really made me solidify my thinking around all of this to have to present to, you know, a lot of people that didn't necessarily know or understand a lot of this stuff. Just because they're they're on the board of a credit union doesn't necessarily mean that they are even exposed to to some of these ideas. So yeah, it was it was great to make me understand it at a deeper level as well to be able to explain it to others. Yeah, not not many people are sort of macro nerds like you and me that <laughs> want to try and figure this out. So absolutely. Excellent, Brett. Well, I appreciate your time, as I said, and you know, hopefully, this can inspire some, some at least some, some good conversation. Great. Thanks very much, Tom. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Brett. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests on this show are not compensated for their appearance. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Do not base any investment decisions on the information contained. To view our full disclaimer, please visit our website.